The truth is, if you ask a younger person if they need this device, probably going to say yes. Who am I kidding? You could ask people my age if they need this device, and they're going to say yes. Here's a reality. None of us need it. It is a convenience. It's a want. It is not a need. It's the same thing with a house. None of us need a 3,000-square-foot house. It's a want, not a need. My dad grew up in a house probably about the size of this stage with eight brothers and sisters. Did they make it? Yes. Would they have loved to have had a house quadruple that size? Yes. But that was a want and not a need. Keep that in mind. We blur those lines. I want to give you some practical advice on how to maintain that balance. It's called the 10-10-80 principle. The 10-10-80 principle is this. The Lord asks us to tithe, give a piece of who we are. We discussed it a couple weeks ago. Typically, we refer to this 10% number. That's the first 10. The first fruits, the very best, right off the top. I'm not going to tell you it should be 10. I'm not going to tell you it should be 8 or it should be 12. I am going to tell you, you should ask yourself, am I giving my first and my best unto the Lord? Not because he wants our money or needs our money, but because it helps us calibrate our hearts. It helps us put him first. It's important that we remember the 10, 10, 80 principle for that reason. The second 10, any guess on what the second 10 is? Savings. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells the parable of the 10 virgins. And he tells this story about how nine out of the 10 use all of their lamp oil before the master comes, before their groom comes. One has stored up some oil and has oil and is able to delight her master. The other nine are left wanting because they did not store up some of their oil. Saving is not, I know we're not supposed to save money and build money and build wealth to build a bigger barn. Jesus talks about that too. But the notion of saving and being prepared for what might be coming soon is very biblical. It's very biblical. And yet, any guesses on what percentage of our income we save as a country right now? It's less than 1%. Is that frightening? It should be. It should be. The 80% principle, and if you really consider this, 10, 10, 80, 80% of what you bring in, God is saying, go ahead, spend it. 80%. That's a pretty big number, right? If we stop and think about it, that is a big number percentage of what we earn. But our tendency is not to do that. Our tendency is to blow that limit out of the water and go straight for the hundred because I can consume as much as I can push out to consume. But setting aside our first fruits reminds us again of where our priorities are. The second one is this, Leviticus 19.19, it says, you are to keep my statutes. Do not crossbreed two different kinds of your livestock. Sow your fields with two different kinds of seed or put a garment made of two, 
put on a garment made of two different kinds of material. The idea is, is very simple. This kind of, this scripture gives people a lot of consternation. But really what it's about is as he's training his people, remember context, as he's training his people, teaching them what it means to follow him. That's why he says, my statutes, as opposed to all the other ones you've learned. You cannot mix and match. You may think you can, but you can't. We would like to believe that we can. You know, advertisers put a lot of money in trying to convince us that we can mix and match God's priorities and their priorities. Let's look at some ways that the advertisers do that. Tom? Advertising is everywhere. And what you read, what you watch, what you eat, what you wear, they're in the sky, they're on the ground, they're in the water. Our economy thrives on you buying more and more and more, even though you don't need any more. And, oh yeah, you're in debt. The goal of advertising is simple. Get you to buy a product. To make you say, yes, I want this. I need this. My life will be better with this retro cowbell dispenser, but a mason jar too. That is adorable. This is the mug that won't fall over. Watch this. It fell, it fell. We wanted to learn how advertisers capture our attention and get us to buy stuff we don't even really need. So we turned to Jonas Sachs, an advertising executive and co-founder of Free Range Studios, to explain a few ways brands get into our heads. How do ads tell us who we are or give us, tell us who we should be? We see 3,500 of them a day. And the majority of them basically tell us, you suck, and if you don't buy this product, you're not gonna be rich enough, smart enough, hot enough, and so we walk around being told 3,500 times a day how deficient and lame we are. Are there any ads that have stuck out in your mind? The number one most shared advertisement on YouTube of all time is that Dove Real Beauty Sketches ad. Mm -hmm. They make the real beauty sketches. It's all about how women are so much more beautiful than they think they are through this stunt of the police artist who's sketching them. Tell me about your hair. They make a picture of what they think they look like versus what a stranger thinks. Kind of have a fat, rounder face. People are saying, listen, they're reaching hundreds of millions of people with a positive message about beauty. People want to share it because they say, oh, those are my values, that's my idea. And then you start buying the soap because you share those values. So this is one of those classic shop therapy ads. That, you know, parenthood is hard, drinking Coke is easy. You need to speak to people on the level of identity, you need to speak to people on the level of emotion. There are millions of people who are gonna sit there and be like, yeah, that's my truth, that's it, that's totally me. Thanks, Coke. Why use Beckham? Advertisements tell you not that this product does this thing, it's that people like this use this product. If you want to be like these kind of people, use this product and you're instantly one of them. So, you know, we all want heroes in our lives and we want to know how to be more like those heroes. And, um, you know, watching sports and watching movies that these guys are in, we don't necessarily know how to be more like them, but advertisements tell us how to do it. Are you up for whatever? Don't answer. Grab a Bud Light and show it. Try new things. Make new friends. I mean, it's all just crafted around creating a gap. You know, you don't have enough, you don't have what's right. It's not necessarily even that the audiences are sitting at home and saying, oh man, I, I need to spend more time in the club. It's like saying, they're saying everybody else is in the club, and why aren't you there? So advertising is just a constant fear of missing out. There's a huge amount of that. Wow, 
Advertisers are like crappy friends. They make us feel needy, ugly, and uncool, but we keep them around anyway. This is a beautiful moment. Sure could use a Coke. So, I will be the first to admit that that Dove ad, the most shared advertisement of all time, that Dove ad, I, when I first saw it, thought to myself, that is wonderful. That is so wonderful that they're trying to set aside everybody's misperceptions and really horrible perspective on what beauty really is and that God has designed all of us to be beautiful. I didn't say that, but of course I read that into it, right? But did they do it for that reason? But we kind of want to believe they did, right? We want to believe that they did it to show us what beauty really is. Or we want, to, we, want, we want to believe that they did something to show us how we can be more like those superstar awesome people. But it's a lie. It's a blatant attempt to confuse your priorities. They have one goal in mind. Advertisers have one goal in mind. What is that? To sell you stuff. That's it. That's it. Now, the hard part is there are legitimately sometimes things that are for sale that you really could use that really would be very, very helpful. Maybe it's a new medical treatment for something that could change your life. That's valuable. That's important. But it's really hard to see the difference between what is and what is not, and advertisers love it that way. They try to confuse us. That is their job. I don't begrudge them for it. I simply state what that is. And so what they're trying to get us to do as crappy friends is to get us to see it differently. And, 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 and so as an economic atheist, I have to ask myself, how does God's will fit into my desires? Does God want me to buy this? Can I buy this? Would God be okay with me buying this? Or an economic theist says, how does, how does God's will shape my desires? Which one's in charge? It's what it comes down to. And, and so what I'm asking you is this, as you're trying to remove confusion, I'm saying this, protect your eye gate. Do you know what your eye gate is? Luke chapter 11, verse 34 says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. We would love to believe that we are not affected by the things that we see around us. I can ignore the advertisements. I can ignore this. I can ignore that. The reality is if you're allowing it in, it will affect you. It will absolutely affect you. I've heard a similar argument with people that watch pornography. They say, oh, no, that's not going to, that doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect my relationships. It doesn't affect my spiritual well-being. It doesn't, that's a bold-faced lie. And most of us would sit here and go, yes, that is a bold-faced lie. But I'm fine with advertising. It's okay. You're lying to yourself because we want to. Okay. We have to protect our eye gate. As Jesus said, only, <laughs> your eye is the lamp of your body, and if, if what's coming in is light, is the things of God, 
and it will be filled with light, and you will have the capacity to allow God's will to shape your desires. But if you're allowing things to enter your heart and your mind and rattle around in your brain that have nothing to do with the things of God, it will tilt your priorities. You will no longer be allowing God to shape you and your heart and your desires, but you will be asking, how does God's will fit in the things I already want? That's backwards. But it is human nature for all of us. Protect your eye gate. The next one is this principle out of Leviticus, Leviticus 19, 23 through 25. It says, when you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, you are to consider the fruit forbidden. It will be forbidden for you to you for three years. It is not to be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit is to be consecrated as a praise offering to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. And in this way, its yield will increase for you. There's this phrase again, I am the Lord, your God. What is this next thing a picture of? Flip, want to flip? There you go. What is that? It's money burning a hole in somebody's pocket. And yes, that is a check you can actually get on buycheapchecks.com. And I haven't decided if it's good to get that check, so it reminds me every time I go write a check, right? Or if it's just bad, a bad idea, period. But do you ever feel like money's burning a hole in your pocket? You've got it, you need to spend it to get what you want and want it right now. No? Maybe, maybe that passes from us as we get older, but I don't know about you, I've got kids and as kids, my kids get their money in their pockets. Dude, they're looking for things to spend it on. Looking for things. Josh got a bunch of money for graduation. Our family has not eaten better in months because he's like, let's go to Arby's. Let's go here. Let's go there. And we're like, are you sure you want to save? You think you should save your money? He's like, no, that's all right. Let's, let's go ahead and let's do it. There you go, there you go. He learned his lesson, but he had to learn, right on cue, good job, Josh. But he had to learn a lesson along the way. It's a difficult thing for us. We have a tendency in our culture, our culture teaches us that we can have it all and we can have it right now. Queen even did a song that I think epitomizes when an economic atheist would say, I want it all and I want it. I said, no, did I? I said, I want it now. And it's true. It is totally true. I think one of the, the greatest difficulties I had coming out of college was I thought, oh, I'm graduated. I'm here now. I've arrived, right? And my parents have a nice house. So now it's my time to have a nice house, right? My parents have all this cool stuff. It's my time to have all this cool stuff. Can I just tell you from personal experience, I, I went, I want to say $25,000 in debt living that life before I realized that was not the life I was meant to lead yet. There is wisdom in waiting and demonstrating patience. There are lots of bells and whistle, whistles and wonderful things out there that, that, that we could be easily convinced we want or need and should, this is this word I hate, 
deserve right now. If you listen to advertisements, they repeatedly use that word or some variation of that word, deserve. You deserve a break today. You deserve a Coke. Did you say that one? Yeah. You deserve a Coke. You deserve this. You deserve that. Newsflash, what do we deserve? Not a thing. (laughs) We are blessed to receive what we get. We don't deserve any of it. And that's really hard for us because the longer we have something, especially a standard of living, the longer we have a standard of living, the less we see it as a gift and more we see it as something we deserve. It's a reality of things. Again, our our consumption expands as our resources expand and eventually that becomes a right or something we deserve. We have to remember that being patient, being patient can help us train our minds and our hearts to recognize that we don't deserve anything, that we should receive what we are gifted with with gratitude. And it also helps remind us that, as a theist would say, God truly offers all, though it may not be right now. The gifts that God offers peace, salvation, mercy, grace, love. These these are the things that really matter, right? The things that never go away, the things that will drive us and carry us, and the things that that will surround us in our eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't get that all right now. It's really hard for us because we want it all, and we want it right now. And so learning to do that has value because 1 Samuel 13, verses 8 through 14, tells the story of, of Saul. Saul is, is getting ready to go into battle with his, with his enemies. And the prophet Samuel, the conduit to God, comes to him and says, look, you're about to go into battle. I will meet you there in a little while and I will do some sacrificing for you in the name of the Lord. I will pray for you. I will consecrate you. And if you do that, God will be behind you all the way. He will be behind you all the way. So Saul goes to the battlefield and he says, okay, I'm gonna wait for Samuel. One day passes, two days pass, three days pass, seven days, Samuel's not there yet. Saul takes matters into his own, own hands and says, I want to do this fight. I want it now. I'm going to make God fulfill his promise to me. And so he consecrates himself. He decides it's time. He sacrifices the animals. He does all of these things because he wasn't willing to wait for Samuel to show up. Samuel shows up and says, what have you done? What have you done? I told you I was coming. You could not wait a few days. And the scripture says this. It says in verse 13 and 14, it says, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command that the Lord gave. If you had, listen to this one. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. He had an opportunity to have everything. If he had waited, 
if he had just waited on God to provide it. But by trying to grasp it now, he lost his future. He lost his family's future. He lost his kingdom's future because he just couldn't wait for God to move. I had a friend several years ago that, and I've I've told this story before, but he wanted so badly to be rich. And his rationale was, if I'm rich, I get to give more to others. Which is true, he would have. I absolutely believe he would have done that. Because that was his heart. But he couldn't ever find the trick. And what it developed over time was an animosity between him and God. Because he felt like God was not giving him what he should have. He said, I'm gonna, if I'm rich, I'm going to give away all the money. Why? Why won't he give it to me? Because that gift wasn't for you. Don't let the fact that you don't have everything you want right now destroy your future with the Lord. Wait. And that is one of the hardest things for human beings to do. Wait. Because you might be surprised as you allow God to shape your desires, your desires for what you want may change. And this thing you think you want so badly right now will be useless to you later. God knows that, you right? You get that? He knows that's what's coming, even if we don't. The last one is this, the last piece, and we're going to jump to Leviticus 26 for this. Uh, embrace the freedom with, that comes with trusting God in these things. And it's not just about finances. When we get to Leviticus 26, it's been the last seven or eight chapters of discussing all these different things that people are trying to grab for themselves. They're trying to run their life themselves, and God repeatedly is telling them, stop that. Stop that. I'm in charge. Stop that. I am the Lord your God. Stop that. I've got it under control. Stop that. Let me help you. Don't take it on yourself. And it says, he says to his people, he says, I will turn to you if you follow me, if you, again, if you follow my statutes, and I will make you fruitful, and I will multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat of the old grain of the previous year, and you will clear out the old to make room for the new. What does that mean? You're going to have plenty. You're going to have plenty. All this you're trying to get and gather and grab on your own, if you will just trust what I'm doing for you, you will have plenty. Some of that is because he will provide more. Some of that is because our hearts and minds are changed. We don't think we need as much as we thought we needed before. But you will have plenty. You will recognize what you have. Again, my dad grew up in that cabin, but, and he, he would tell you now, yeah, we were poor, but we didn't know it. It's because they didn't know any other way. They knew, and they knew they had plenty to eat, right? They knew they had each other. They knew they had a roof over their head and clothes on their backs and the Lord in their hearts. And guess what? That was enough. So it says, I will give you enough. And it says, I will place my residence among you. I will be with you. I will not reject you. I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. 
I am the Lord your God, there's that phrase, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would no longer be their slaves. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to live in freedom. I got goosebumps. Enabled you to live in freedom. If you can, financially speaking, again, this is all about economics we're talking about. If we can place our desires at the feet of the Lord and allow him to shape them, if we can alter our practices to be in line with his statutes, his commands, his desires for us, can I just tell you there's a massive freedom that comes from that. There's no longer the pressure to have the coolest phone because everybody else has the coolest phone. There's no longer the pressure to have a nicer house because everybody else has got a nicer house. There's no longer the pressure to have another car or a bigger truck because everybody's got another car or a bigger truck. And there's no pressure to buy Coke because it'll make you cool because you already are. There is freedom in trusting the Lord for provision and trusting the Lord to shape our desires and trusting the Lord to define who we are rather than allowing the world around us to define who we are. There's freedom in that. And if I have anything else to tell you today, that's it. There is freedom in letting go of all the things we hold on to so dearly and allow God to handle the rest. Right? Amen? Amen. Okay. So, I think it's about time for us to close up our service. Who is playing piano today? Miss Shirley is. Awesome. If everybody will stand, uh, we close all of our services with a time of prayer and an opportunity to come forward if you wish.